You are listening to episode 199 of This Is Type One. Today, I'm talking with Jessica Freeman, an entrepreneur, author, and athlete thriving with type one diabetes. Jessica, welcome to the show. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Tell us who you are and the story of your diagnosis. Yeah. So like you said, I'm an entrepreneur, author, athlete, and I'm also a wife and a mom. And I was diagnosed at the age of three, actually on the 4th of July. So, (laughs) you know, what a way to spend the holiday. And I don't have any immediate family diabetes, but my grandparents on my mom's side, so her parents both had diabetes. And so I was apparently acting really lethargic, was peeing a lot, kind of those typical (laughs) symptoms. And so they were like, "Hmm." like, I think we were at my grandma's for the holidays and they were like, you know, she's just acting kind of funny. Like we should take her to the hospital and get her looked at. And so they did. And yeah, it was diabetes. And so for a long, long time, probably until late high school years, it was just me and my grandparents that had diabetes. It was weird. Like it was just us. And then over the years, I've had a few uncles and aunts that have developed type two diabetes. And then I do have one cousin's daughter who has type one as well. But yeah, for a long time, it was, and my grandpa passed away when I was fairly young. And so a lot for me, it really feels like it was me and my grandma and so at Christmas and the holidays, they'd be like, we brought you a sh- you and grandma a sugar-free pie. Ah, <laughs> uh, right? sugar-free. It was the worst. It was the worst. And my parents were pretty strict about sugar. I was not one of the diabetics that grew up just, oh, just take insulin for like whatever you eat. Like we, we were very regimented and... There was a few exceptions around the holidays. You know, they'd be like, you can have like one cookie (laughs) or like two cookies, you know, like something really small. And so they'd be like, oh, we brought you sugar-free pie. And I'd be like, great. And then I'd be like, mom, I can still have a cookie, right? (laughs) Like my worst experience with anything sugar-free was the sugar-free candy at like that candy store and then spending the rest of the night, like just on the toilet. Yes. Yes. So bad. Yeah. Or I don't know if you ever had like the Russell Stover's chocolate. It's, I'm sorry, Russell Stover's. It's not good. When I see it around like holidays, you know, because they bring break out, like especially Valentine's Day, there's tons of chocolate boxes. And I always see the sugar free ones. And I'm like, "Mm -mm, nope, (laughs) don't do it. Like sugar free chocolate and sugar free candy has a specific smell to me. See, I haven't eaten it in so long that I don't even remember the smell, but I can, I can literally taste it in my mouth right now. And it's so disgusting. (laughs) Pro tip to everybody listening, just stay away from anything that has artificial sweeteners in it that they tell you is sugar-free because it Mm -hmm. is not actually sugar-free and it will not taste good. Yeah, it's not. It's not. So yeah, that's the pro tip. (laughs) First pro tip of of the day. So you mentioned in your application that you grew up in a rural community. What Mm -hmm. was that like growing up so far away from your doctor's office? I mean, at the time, 
I didn't really know any different. And so it was just like, mm, like, whatever, especially being so far away from anything. It wasn't just my doctor. It was just anything. Like, I mean, four hours to a mall, four hours to my doctor's like main office. It wasn't until high school that we were an hour away from Starbucks because like a Starbucks got added into the Target. Eating out fancy was going to Applebee's because it was that or IHOP and those were both 45 minutes away. (laughs) So I know none of that's related to diabetes, but, but it was... So at the time, you know, I didn't know any different, but it was very isolating because I grew up in a tiny town with also a very tiny school. So I had 20 classmates. That was it. That was my graduating class, 20. And I was the only one who had something different. No one else had any medical conditions whatsoever. I don't even think we had anybody with asthma. <laughs> like, I know there were probably other students in other classes, like other grades, but it was just, it was very isolating. And so that was hard. And then just not having access to a lot of, I mean, doctors, obviously, I didn't have a choice in doctors, really. Plus, we did like my doctor. It's not like we didn't. But living in a city now, I have changed doctors like eight times because I'm like, I don't like you. I'll just go find somebody else. Because I have the luxury of having that option now. But also even just different restaurants or different, like we didn't have like multiple shops that sold candy and like, oh, you know, this one has more sugar-free candy that probably also just tastes disgusting. (laughs) Like I remember the main city town that we went to was 45 minutes away. There was another one 30 minutes away, but it was even smaller and had fewer options. So we didn't go there as often, but they had a shop called Brahms. So if any of my friends who live in the Midwest are familiar with Brahms, it was my favorite growing up, but they only had sugar-free vanilla ice cream because it was the nineties, early two thousands. And so sugar-free options were severely limited. And especially in rural Kansas, we did not have options. And so I remember there were times where, you know, oh, I have an eye doctor's appointment. Let's go to Brahms after and get lunch. And my mom would be like, you want ice cream? And there was a certain point where I was like, I'm not even going to get ice cream. Like, I literally don't want even sugar-free ice cream. Like, I just, I'd rather eat nothing at all. See, that (laughs) was like the sneaky way to teach you that you should not have sweets too often. (laughs) Because it's not great for you, but also Mm -hmm. you develop a taste against any ice cream, then you're not going to go to the full sugar ones. Yeah. Yeah. So really it was just, again, I didn't really know any different, but then looking back and knowing now, like what it's like to live in a city and hearing from people who grew up living in larger towns with diabetes, it was just very different. And I remember I went to a diabetes camp growing up for like 15 summers straight. And they would talk about like, even just hearing their school experiences was very different because they had classes of 600 kids, you know, in their graduating class. And so they weren't the only diabetic or who had something different about them and those kinds of things. So it was just a very 
isolating experience is how I would describe it. I went to private schools for elementary and high school. So what would have been my graduating class was like 30 people. So I'm Mm. totally on your level with a really tiny class and being the only Mm -hmm. person with diabetes. And yeah, I get it. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) When you experience burnout with your diabetes, what did that look like? And if you still experience it, what does it look like now? Mm. So the first time I think I experienced burnout was in high school. And I don't think I knew it was burnout. And it was a lot of neglect. I used to <laughs> I used to lie about my numbers and not just, I know everyone's like, okay, yeah. So, and I'm like, no, like not only would I lie to my mom or dad and be like, yeah, like my blood sugar is, you know, 130. Perfect. But then when it was time to write out my blood sugars and my little log book, because again, I didn't have the technology to <laughs> plug the glucometer in and download your numbers at the office. I would fib. Not only because I didn't have enough numbers because I was not checking my blood sugar. Like I would maybe maybe check it once a day if that. And sometimes I would go days and be like, oh crap, like I haven't checked my blood sugar in literally days because I was avoiding it because I knew my blood sugars were out of control. And I had this thought process in my brain. I don't know where it came from (laughs) that like bad blood sugars, I'm a bad kid or a bad person. And my parents never insinuated that Like they were never, I didn't get yelled at or like I had great parents. So it wasn't like I would got spanked every time I had a bad blood sugar or anything, but I would just avoid checking my blood sugar. So I didn't even have enough numbers to fill in the book, but the ones I had weren't good. And so I would literally sit there and be like, okay, so this number was 130 and this number was 260. So let's choose something in between (laughs) for my... Like I was 1.30 in the morning on Monday and 2.60 at night on Tuesday. So let's see. We need some numbers with fours in them. (laughs) I was like, I wasn't just making up. I mean, I was just making up, but I was trying to be like methodical about it for some reason, like trying to make it less obvious. So it wasn't like all my numbers had threes in them or something like as if that would somehow matter. That reminds me of that math meme where you're doing the math problem and the answer you get is none of the four that are on the multiple choice. (laughs) Yes. Pick the one that's closest. Yes, exactly. So yeah, that was a lot of neglect. And then I really experienced it in college again. And it was kind of the same thing. It was a lot of neglect and not, I always took my insulin. I never got too far that I didn't take insulin or anything like that, but it was just, I don't care. I don't like, I just don't care. I don't want to see my blood sugars, anything like that. And yeah, it was just avoiding, avoiding the blood sugars and just not caring. So luckily it it did never become anything too catastrophic. Like I never passed out or went to the hospital or anything, but it was, Really, I think my burnout always kind of came with depression. And so it kind of presented more with depression symptoms of like, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to take care of myself, anything like that. And so it was just, I'm tired of, I'm tired of all the details. (laughs) So I'm just 
going to stop checking because it's like the one thing I know I can like not do. Like I knew I was I was smart enough to know like don't stop taking your insulin. <laughs> like at least do that. I think it takes a lot of courage to be able to admit that kind of neglect for yourself. Mm-hmm. So first of all, I want to say congratulations for being that courageous to do that. But also I want to know how did you get to the point where you were okay with talking about it this candidly? Uh, probably a lot of therapy. <laughs> Like is the reason. Good answer. Because I definitely did not talk about my burnout in high school. Like I didn't tell I didn't tell anybody in high school. Because again, I don't think I knew I was burnout. I think I was just mad. <laughs> I was just mad and depressed, and I didn't tell anybody. In college, I also don't think I think it's more so looking back. I'm now aware of what I was going through. And I'm more comfortable, again, just being older, going through therapy, knowing like I'm not perfect. I don't get any reward for being a perfect diabetic. <laughs> like, And just I know that we all have or will struggle with burnout at some point. Like if you don't, I want to know your secrets <laughs> because I there's so much detail that goes into diabetes. Like, that's the thing I think about a lot with diabetes and then what I tell people when they ask me about it. I'm like, you don't understand the amount of detail that goes into it. It's mind blowing. And yeah, I just, I think it always helps when we hear that other people struggle. Absolutely. I was just thinking that we have, I think we make like 60,000 or we have like 60,000 thoughts a day and plenty Mm -hmm. of those are decisions, but just having type one diabetes, we have an extra like 20% more decisions yeah. on top of that. And so mm-hmm. it makes sense that like we have to pay attention to all those extra details and it can be so draining if you already have like a low number of spoons in your bank. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Can you share some of the most memorable moments from your journey with type one, both positive and negative and how they've shaped your perspective? Yeah, I think one of my most memorable moments would probably be in high school when I finally got an insulin pump because it was funny enough when I first, again, living in rural Kansas, very low exposure to technology. And I mean, not making it sound like we grew up without like electricity, but like, you know, I just, I didn't, I didn't have that much exposure to things like our school is basic and you know, all that stuff. And so it wasn't until I was at my diabetes camp that I started to see insulin pumps. And I apparently like our camp always had like an education session in the afternoons. And I don't think I was paying attention very well because I remember the first few times I saw an insulin pump, I thought it was like extra special. Like you had something maybe a little bit wrong with your diabetes. Like you needed that device or something (laughs) like you have diabetes so bad and you are like a bad diabetic that you need this extra something oh okay yeah like maybe I don't know that I said that I thought you were bad diabetic but it was that like something was complicated about your diabetes maybe I don't know I didn't think that for very long I'll be honest because then I did learn what like an actual insulin pump was and that it doesn't mean (laughs) that you have like a special kind of diabetes (laughs) And so, yeah, getting my insulin pump, it felt like, I remember I wanted it for a few years. And so it was very exciting to finally get it, but it felt like like a new chapter in my diabetes because I knew it was going to make things easier. 
And I just was excited for better control. And (laughs) I remember I had to miss a week of school. And when I came back, like I didn't really tell any of my classmates where I was going or what I was doing. I think I'd kind of like briefly mentioned it, but they all thought I was like in the hospital, like dying for a week because I came back and even the guys in my class were like, Jessica, are you okay? You like, we were worried about you. And I was like, you don't even like, like, we're not even friends. What are you doing? And then I remember, you know, that first week or so, I don't know, wearing my pump around school, I walked into some, you know, one of my other classrooms to get something from a teacher and he like had six or seventh graders, I don't know, in his class. (laughs) One of them saw the pump in my pocket and said, how come she gets to bring her MP3 player to school and I don't? (laughs) And the teacher just laughed and I was like, because it's not an MP3 player. And they were like, huh? So that was kind of funny, but just, I remember feeling almost like proud of myself that I finally got an insulin pump. So that would be one of like the bigger good moments, I guess. And then one of the really difficult, like probably the most difficult was in 2015, the night of my birthday. So like 2 a.m. like of my birthday, waking up in the morning. Yay, it's my birthday. I woke up and couldn't move. Like woke up at two in the morning and could not move an inch of my body. Like felt paralyzed. My muscles felt really tight and contracted. And I was, and I could tell my blood sugar was low. And I was like, oh my God, like what is happening? (laughs) And somehow managed to like force my arm to elbow my husband and wake him up. And he's always been super supportive. And I'm like, I need you to get honey. Like I need you to, I'm low. And he's kind of confused because one, it's two o'clock in the morning. (laughs) And two, I always just get up and get myself stuff or I have it like on my bedside table. And so he went and got it and he like turns on the lamp and very confused, like what's going on. And I'm like, I need your phone. He's like, why do you need my phone? You have your phone. And I'm trying to like get to the, you know, on the iPhone, like get to the caller to call my sister, but like my brain cannot process anything. So I'm just like staring at it. And he's like, do you want to call somebody? Long story short, we end up going to the ER. They like, I never passed out, but I think I did after I got to the ER, but leading up to, I never did. They thought I was on drugs. I was so out of it. They were like, so what drugs has she taken? And he was like, insulin, nothing, (laughs) no (laughs) drugs. And they're like, "Mm, I don't think so. Pretty sure. Like I peed on myself. Like I was in the hospital for like two or three days and they don't really know what happened, but looking what we concluded was six months prior, my mom had passed away. And the week after my birthday, I was flying back to Kansas to bury her. I know it's kind of weird. It's a long story. doesn't matter. But it was my first birthday without my mom. The week before we're burying her and or burying her ashes, I should say. And so they, my family concluded without the doctor's help 
that we think it was like a stress response, but they had told the doctors, this is what's happening. Like we think maybe, you know, like, and the nurse like made everyone leave the room and asked me if I was suicidal. And she was like, you, we we can see on your pump that you took like five units of insulin at bedtime or like at whatever time, are you suicidal? And I was like, no, but I don't remember taking the insulin. So, so, but that's terrifying. Yeah. But I mean, like I, it wasn't that I was drunk or anything before bed or, but I was like, so out of it in the hospital. I was like, I don't know. I just don't remember like but I often, not often, I sometimes will be like, oh, like I just ate a snack. I'm just like, give myself five units. Like instead of like doing the carb ratio, I don't really do that anymore because five units is a lot. Well, some, I have a high carb ratio. So, oh, okay. so yeah, that's part of it. But I was like, no, truly, I'm not suicidal. Like not even 1%. So I don't know if I accidentally like pushed buttons. I'm pretty sure I just ate a snack and just took insulin and for whatever reason didn't do the carb ratio. I don't really know. <laughs> like, but they sent me to like a neurologist. They sent me to what else? Did, some other doctor could never figure out what happened because I don't think I ever passed out. I think I went to sleep in the ER. <laughs> I don't think I passed out, but yeah, they just couldn't like figure out why I dropped, what happened. It's never happened since. I struggled with a lot of nausea for like the next two weeks, like could not eat, could not sit up. Like it was just really bad. And then everything went away and I felt better when I got a puppy. And I'm not joking. Dogs are the best. (laughs) uh, So April 24th is my birthday. It was April 24th at like 2 a.m. that I went to the hospital. May 17th or 18th, we got a dog. And literally my nausea went away, everything. I don't love those puppies. And it was not, it's not a therapy dog. It's not like a diabetes alert dog. Okay, let's let's be clear. Like every dog has therapeutic like tendencies. Oh yeah. And he's like been my dog since day one, since day one. He's like curled up in my lap every day. So that was kind of a long story, but yeah, that was a very negative and scary experience and really one like scared me into like, okay, we got to like, I didn't really think my things, my blood sugar was out of control at that point, but just like, we really need to get things in order like with my diabetes and avoid this ever happening again. Cause that was the only time in 30 years that I've gone to the hospital for my diabetes. Mm. So it was, it was terrifying. Yeah. Don't want to repeat that. No, thank you. (laughs) What would you say has been something good that comes from living with type one? I think the community, I think the friends that I've made mostly from my diabetes camp that I went to, like I'm still Facebook friends with so many people there that I went to camp with or like was a counselor with or you know anything like that or friends with people who were my counselors (laughs) I think that community and just I'm sure you experience it and the listeners have experienced like when you see somebody or learn that somebody else is diabetic and it's just like an instant bond and you're like we're friends now (laughs) we're friends you're my person Hello. Like I just joined a book club less than a year ago 
And the like second or third week, you know, cause some people like miss a week, whatever. And it was like the second or third week there was a gal there that hadn't made it yet. And the host knew that both of us were diabetic, but she didn't want to like share our story, like without permission or whatever. But we saw, like, she saw my insulin pump. She's like, are you, she like touched my pocket. She's like, are you diabetic? (laughs) Is that an insulin pump? And then she like flashed me hers. And so, yeah, it's just, I think that's the community and feeling seen and having people to talk to. I think especially now growing up in that very isolated sort of situation, not having people to talk to. One, I think it's why camp was so impactful and so meaningful to me. And then now like community means so much to me. I loved camp growing up. I went Mm -hmm. for 20 straight years and majority of that was being a counselor. Yeah. It's It's the the best best. ever. It is. <laughs> and now I'm going to go to a, an adult type one camp this year, which I'm <gasps> super excited about. I keep wanting to go to one. We'll have to talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll talk when we're done recording. Okay. <laughs> okay. How has your relationship with your husband been impacted by your diabetes? I mean, you, you mentioned having to elbow mm-hmm. him awake, but mm-hmm. what, what, what advice would you have for couples who are dealing with chronic illness like type one? So I seeing a lot of stories online from women who have really unsupportive husbands or spouses or significant others. I know that I am incredibly lucky that my husband is so supportive. He, we've had to balance like early on in our marriage, he would sometimes not nag, but like, "Mm, how's your blood sugars? Or like, Oh, did you do that? You know? And I think that would be my best piece of advice for couples is having a conversation about what you want the support to look like. Like, do you want them to help remind you to check your blood sugars or do you want them to completely like not ask questions at all? Do you want even more support than that? You know, what, like, what do you want that to look like nowadays? Since I am not burnout (laughs) currently and like, doing well. It's, I don't need those questions or anything, but he is the best about just, okay, well, I already (laughs) drank all the Fanta in our, (laughs) in our car on this road trip. So like, we need to stop and get something or we're in a museum or something that like, I can't bring anything into. And so he'll like, go and get me a drink or, you know, whatever it is. Oh, I pull the diabetes card on everything. I'm like, oh, you can't prevent me from bringing in my snacks <laughs> or my water. Quite one diabetic. I, sometimes I do that, but I'm also very, sometimes too optimistic about like, oh, I'll be fine. It's just, it's just a museum. I don't need to take in anything. And then of course I'm like five minutes into the museum or whatever. And I'm like 52 and I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> should I? Like, I just always think like, no, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. I don't need any supplies. So yeah, he's really supportive. But I would say having that conversation of what you want the support to look like, because I know that sometimes that support becomes unsolicited and can cause tension and feel like nagging or they're almost parenting you. And that can cause troubles between the two of you, because you're like, I am a grown person. (laughs) 
and I don't need you to parent me. So when they think they're just trying to help. So I think yeah, having so, that conversation. So be first, have that conversation when you are not low. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is also key. <laughs> and two, know that you can have the conversation again if your needs change. So yes. If, so if you yes. have that conversation when you're in a period of burnout, first off, don't have it when you're low or high, but then when you're out of that burnout stage, have it again from a different mm-hmm. place, knowing that your mental health is way better. Yes, a hundred percent. And I mean, there are times that before we get in the car, or go somewhere, he's like, do you have Fanta or, you know, Jolly Ranchers or whatever. Fanta is my current like low blood sugar treatment of choice. And it's just a quick, like, oh, do you have Fanta? Almost like, do you have your purse? Do you have your phone? You know? And so that kind of stuff I appreciate because being a mom and just a person, <laughs> sometimes I forget those things when I'm like, oh yeah, gonna need a Fanta. Yep. Gonna need something. Okay. Tell me a little bit about your entrepreneurship, being an author and the athlete stuff. Yeah. So I run my own business. I'm a web designer and I actually, not exclusively, but I heavily focus on the health and wellness industry. So I work with a lot of dietitians, personal trainers, et cetera. And anytime I've been on a podcast to talk about like web design and business, they're always like, how did you choose a niche of like health and fitness? And I'm like, well, when you've been diabetic since you were three, your health is a huge part of your life. And I honestly, that's why I, my diabetes is why I chose that industry and not really like, it wasn't like I'm diabetic, so I'm going to work with health, (laughs) but it was, it was more so. I have always just had an interest in health and nutrition. I mean, for a small, small amount of time in high school, I was like, oh, I could be a nurse because like I'm okay with blood. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, you have to take math and science classes? No, thank you. Let's go the other direction and do art. <laughs> so I just really love the work that the that those people do, that dietitians do and personal trainers and everything. And I know how beneficial their work is. And so one, it's, I'm really truly interested in like their content and the work they do. And I always learn stuff from them about like, oh, this and macros and do this thing in your workouts. Like it's truly interesting to me, but I also just love that like, this is such a big part of my life. And so it also just feels like a very natural fit. So I do that. And then I also am an author, so I have two books, actually. It kind of feels like one, (laughs) though, and it's called The Type 1 Life. The second one is called The Type 1 Life for Adults. And so I published The Type 1 Life in 2018. And basically, my kind of elevator pitch for the book is it's everything that doctors don't tell you. So sleepovers how to talk to your like neighbors and friends about your diabetes, school stuff, just pregnancy, marriage, (laughs) insurance. Like I know doctors might touch on some of that, but it's kind of all the non-medical advice. So there's no medical advice in there because I'm not a doctor (laughs) or a dietitian or anything. And so I published that in 2018 and then adapted parts of the book to also be for, because the the type one life is for parents of newly diagnosed children. And then I adapted the book 
change some of it to be for adults who are diagnosed as adults, because the number of adults, like young adults being diagnosed with type one diabetes is growing. And so people, I mean, it's not just young adults. I shouldn't say just young adults, but that number is growing and just seeing more and more people in the online communities being like, I'm 25. And like, my life was just changed completely. And I have diabetes, like what? (laughs) And so the book still covers a lot, but like, I don't talk about sleepovers or school or, you know, any of that stuff that doesn't apply to adults. So, um, so that's that. And then athlete to some, it might be too strong of a word, (laughs) but I am very active. I do I've done Spartan races and half marathons. I work out and lift weights several times a week. So that yeah, sounds just... way more athletic than me. So I would call you an athlete. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm just, you know, I'm not like professionally competing or, you know, anything like that, but it has been a struggle to figure out diabetes management and all of these athletic things. Like I literally just did a Spartan race two, three weeks ago and didn't carry anything with me. No, like Jolly Ranchers or anything. Cause again, stupidly thought I'll be fine. I'll be fine. They usually have things like water tables and Gatorade and gummies, whatever they didn't. So I didn't have anything with me. I still wore my Dexcom, but I didn't like have my phone or anything. So I had no idea. And finished the race. Woohoo. Great. Get back. My phone reconnects to my sensor. And then like all the data downloads. I was low the entire race. The entire race. And somehow, I don't know how, it just stayed steady at like 68. Oh, that's <laughs> Perfect. Like it was just the whole time. I was like, how did I not keep like my blood sugar keeps dropping if I'm sitting on the couch and don't drink Fanta soon enough? <laughs> like, how did me running for two hours straight not make my blood sugar crash? I don't know. But um, maybe maybe that was that one time your liver was like, All right, guys, she doesn't have anything. We gotta dump the glycogen to make sure she just, doesn't go below 68. Yes, like let's just do this. <laughs> yeah. Um so, and there were a few times, there was like once or twice during the race. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm low right now. <laughs> I'm almost positive my blood sugar slow right now. And my husband had told me before the race, like, if you ever feel low or you just anything, we can stop. We don't need to finish. Your health is more important. But me being too prideful, I was like, I'm not chilling him. I feel low <laughs> because I'm going to finish this race. Wait, was he racing with you? Yes, we did it together. Sorry, I mentioned I meant to mention that before. Yeah, I didn't tell him at all. I didn't mention it. I was like, because if I tell him I feel low, he's gonna make me stop. And I don't want to. I don't want to. So I'm kind of surprised he didn't carry low snacks with him. Yeah, he sh- he should have. <laughs> That's on him. <laughs> I'm supposed well, you I'm take full of- responsibility for not I, bringing your own. I do, but <laughs> I do. I that's totally my fault. It is kind of funny that he didn't because usually he wears camel pack the water thing. And there's a pocket in there, but he didn't carry it now that I'm thinking about it. So that's probably why I didn't think to be like, Oh, here's some Jolly Ranchers to go in there. But you know what? Oh, I survived. Okay. I did it. Drink a lot of fan after. So. I mean, I did a, a 5k race once doing after doing a couch to 5k program. 
Mm-hmm. And despite having and like stuffing my face with Smarties during the whole thing, my numbers still dropped to 52 afterward. Yeah. Like sometimes you just, you're like, I don't know. I don't know what's going to make this work. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Do you have a book recommendation for our listeners? We're going to link to your two books on Amazon already, but if you have another yes. one to recommend, I'd love to hear yes. it. Yes. Diabetes Burnout by William Polonsky. I think is how you say his last name. I actually read that book in college when I was feeling burnt out. And he published it in 1999. So it's kind of old, but like, it's still helpful. The main takeaway, if you don't want to read the book, (laughs) though I do suggest it, it's very good. I still have it. I keep it because I'm like, I'm probably gonna go through burnout again. And so I'll probably need to reread this is the main takeaway from the book for me, at least was Focus on one thing at a time. Instead of trying to be perfect at your diabetes in all these different ways, obviously you can't just stop giving insulin or stop whatever. (laughs) You can't, I mean, I guess you can theoretically stop checking your blood sugar, but like we probably shouldn't. But it was like, instead of trying to have perfect numbers and try to have perfect carb counts and like all this, try to be really good at one thing at a time. Instead of trying to be perfect at all the things all the time. And that was really helpful for me. And I still remember that was like 10 plus years ago. And I still remember it. So I highly recommend it. We will link to that in the show notes. Okay. Do you have any projects that you're working on that you're excited about and can share with us? Yes. I am actually working on the second edition of my type one life book which by the time this episode goes live, it will be live. So still called the type one life. It'll just say second edition, but I'm updating things because I've had a baby since last time I wrote a book. So I can expand on the pregnancy part of the book. And I also added an entire chapter about mental health and type one diabetes because it's very needed. Very needed. <laughs> um, and so... And I was like, I'm sorry, parents. Like, I know you're going through a lot, but like, I literally start the chapter. I think it says like, there's no easy way to say this. Your child is probably going to have mental health struggles at some point because of their diabetes. And so I remember telling my book editor, I don't know how to, (laughs) I want to write this book or this chapter and be honest without it being like such a Debbie Downer. (laughs) And being so sad and whatnot. But I talk to a lot of therapists and psychologists and parent coaches. And so there's a lot of helpful tips from them included in the chapter on how to kind of help your child with that. Whether like I have kind of sections on burnout, anxiety, and depression. And kind of how to help your child if they're experiencing any of those things. And then also how to find like counseling or therapy and walk them through that. So that is very excited. We're going to link to uh, both of your books in the show notes. And by the time this episode comes out, I'm guessing the second, will the second edition be on like the same link or will, do you think we'll have to? I'm not sure, but I'll make sure you have the new link. Okay. Because no matter what, listening to this podcast (laughs) at any time in the future, even if it's, you know, years down the line, we'll have the correct links in the show notes. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we did not already cover? Mm. I think the only thing, the only other thing I would say is I think we all need to go easier on ourselves. 
because it's a it's a lot. <laughs> and I think sometimes we expect too much out of ourselves, which is kind of funny to say because we're like keeping ourselves alive and you're like, well, it is a lot. <laughs> it's just do but, the job of a pancreas. Right. But I remember a few years ago going to my endocrinologist, you know, for my normal checkup. And my A1C was really good at the time. It like I was in like the sixes, like low sixes. So I was like, woo, I'm doing really. But I was afraid that it had gone up since my last appointment. And I have a lot of anxiety around being a perfectionist. And so it was more so like, I didn't think I'd gone up to the nines by any means. I was just like, oh my God, like I've gone out of the sixes. I'm probably in the sevens now and was really anxious about it. And I was also a foster parent at the time. And so I had a lot on my plate and was just really nervous. And that doctor at the time was so so nice. I loved her. She was so down to earth and so realistic and was just never judgmental by any means. And she was like, yeah, your A1C is like six point. I don't even know what it was like making up. Like it was probably 6.4 or something. And I was like, really? Yeah, you're doing great. I don't even have anything to tell you. And I remember saying something like, I was so nervous, like coming here today, like that makes me so happy. And she said, why are you nervous? And I was like, I just, you know, like I thought it was going up and because things, you know, I feel like my blood sugars haven't been that well controlled, just seems like it. And I think she knew I was fostering at the time and working full time, you know, all the things. And she was like, you have so much on your plate and your blood sugars Okay, maybe day to day, sometimes they're not perfect, but like your A1C (laughs) is so good. She was like, you need to like calm down, go have a margarita, (laughs) go chill, just take a breather. You're doing great. And it was like the first time a doctor had told me that, which I know also speaks to like just one doctors aren't always that supportive and two, like my blood sugars haven't always been that great. So there's probably a lot of times they literally couldn't say that to me, but, but also I think about you've had to change your doctor eight times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it just, I still remember that appointment like clear as day. And, and that was like five years ago that she, that we had that appointment and I still remember it because it was just like, you're like, you're doing your best. So just give yourself a break. Sometimes (laughs) we're doing the best we can trying to be a person and do all the functions of an organ that doesn't work. (laughs) Yep. Great advice. Yeah. So, all right. Where can people find you online if they would like to connect? Yeah. So if you want to learn more about the book or anything like that, the type one life.com is that website. If you are curious to learn more about my business or anything like that, it's justcreatives.com. And then I'm on social media, like at just creatives everywhere. So I do talk about my diabetes from time to time on there, but I don't really have social media for my book. It just, I kind of promote it a little bit of my business, a little bit of my personal and (laughs) leave it at that. So, all right. We will link to all of that in the show notes. 
Jessica, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. This is fun. Remember, you control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com slash community. I can't wait to see you there.